want to mention a couple of preachers to you while you make your way back to your seats. You'll be interested uh, in the news regarding both of them. Brother Cody Moore is the new pastor of Glenfield Baptist Church in New Albany. Uh, he received a 98% vote from the church body uh, Sunday and has accepted uh, the pastorate there. And uh, so pray for Brother Cody. I'm thrilled for them and for him. And then Brother Zach Watson, Brother Zach has uh, felt the call into full-time evangelism. And Brother Zach will be a blessing to a lot of churches um, around about the country. God will use him. He's already been using him, but we feel that he will continue to use him. Let's go a different route tonight. I want you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Sunday morning, uh, what we shared Sunday morning in the service, um, certainly I didn't have a note for anything that was said on my part. Uh, seemed like we got started right out of the gate in the open assembly. Brother Johnny Wilder uh, asked the piercing question, what seek you? And it was very, very piercing to me. And then that carried on over as far as I'm concerned into our service. It's amazing sometimes even in our prayer room on Sunday morning, uh, there'll be a note, seems like, that is found early. And sometimes even before daylight in the study, it seems that note is found in my own heart and mind. And it seems like God just traces that thing right on through the service. And so with that in mind, we seem to spend our time Sunday morning in 1 Corinthians 13 primarily. But I did refer to the book of Ecclesiastes. And over the years, I have referred to Ecclesiastes. I love the wisdom literature, the poet, uh, poetical books of the Old Testament. There are five it's been a couple of three years since I've said this. Your Old Testament, 39 books, divide easily into three portions, 17, 5, and 17. The first 17 books are historical. Where did we come from? It's in there. Why are we here? It's in there. How did Israel come into existence and with such focus upon? It's in there. Um, he deals on the national level, right? In, in, those, in those books, and, and Israel becomes the focus. In the middle five books, the poetical books, which are wisdom literature, um, of course, we move from a national emphasis to a personal emphasis. How can I walk with God? Um, what can I do when uh, it seems that uh, the devil has reached into his quiver and very pointedly has pointed out something in my life and shot at it and hit it, hit the bullseye. What do I do about it? What do I do when I stumble and fall myself? How can I know of intimacy with Christ? Well, um, and how do I put Christianity into shoe leather? It's in the poetical literature. It's in all of it. But there's a real focus, individual focus in those poetical books. And then, of course, the last 17 books are prophetical. Five major prophets, 12 minor prophets. Even that first 17, there's five major writings, Genesis through Deuteronomy, 12 that would be more minor that follow right along on the heels of those first five. They almost make you think God put the Bible together and wrote it. Amen. And he did. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes comes from a word koheleth. It simply means the preacher. Solomon is a preacher. As, he, as you come to the book of Ecclesiastes, it is a sermon. It has an introduction. He will, uh, uh, he will announce his title. 
he will advance his theme, and then we see where ultimately his, his aim or his focus will wind up. You ever heard somebody say, I said all this to get to here? Well, chapters 1 through 11, Solomon says all this to get to chapter 12. Uh, his phrase that keeps coming up is under the sun. That's everything apart from Christ, everything apart from God, everything that you leave God out of is included under the sun, chapters 1 through 11. He finally gets us where we need to be in chapter number 12, and that's our focus being above the sun. And uh, so it is, it is, a, it is a, a sermon. Look, if you will, verses 1, 2, and 3 announces it would be like him coming to, to charity one some Sunday morning and preaching this sermon. This is what he would say. This would be his opening remarks. Chapter 1 of the book of Ecclesiastes, verses 1, 2, and 3. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Of course, we know this to be Solomon, right? Even verse 12 of chapter 1 says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. He's going to make himself known uh, in about two other passages as well. But, but here he says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. He's none other than Solomon. Watch what he says in verses 2 and 3. He says, vanity of vanities. He said, that's what I'm preaching on. And then he goes on and says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? In other words, what good is anything in your life or my life? What good is life apart from God? It's the equivalent to the New Testament. What shall a man profit? He shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. What good is it for a man to, uh, to go about this walk of life and live to be 30, live to be 60, 90, whatever it is, and yet doesn't know God? He may be successful in other men's eyes, but if he doesn't know God, I mean, what good is it to spend eternity in hell to go for the gusto of this world? To live a very self-centered life. What good is it? What good is it? And so, um, and so the spiritual lesson from the book of Ecclesiastes is that it is an utter impossibility to live a life of peace without God in your life. It is an utter impossibility to have peace in your life without God. Um, the unsaved are like, the, uh, like the, the waves of an unsettled sea, the old prophet taught us, right? Always casting up the muck and the mire and churning. A, a storm that will hit even the great lakes at times will, the closer you get to shore, we understand, will stir up the bottom. The water will churn and any debris that has been on the bottom will come to the surface. Um. Here in this verses 1, 2, and 3, when he says vanity of vanities, he repeats himself for emphasis. He says, all is vanity. Then in verse number 3, everything, all is vanity, useless, it's void, it's no account, it's not worth anything at all. It's nothing but waste. Everything under the sun, everything under the sun, apart from God, it's all vanity. Now, I'm going to tell you this, and you'll find this. If you're, of course, if you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, you know this. 
Some will remember perhaps in the late 80s and then in the early 90s, somebody would go to the uh, Grand Canyon. They'd come back wearing T-shirts. All the family would come back wearing T-shirts. Grand Canyon, been there, done that. We went to the Smokies. First time we took a vacation, myself, my wife, and our children, we came back. Even Anna was a baby at the time. Uh, Smoky Mountains or, or Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, been there, done that. And we thought we had something. You name it, Solomon can say, I've been there. I've done that. Yep, been there too. And I've done that. And I've been there. Bring up any subject, Solomon could say, I've been there and I've done that. None of it brought contentment, peace, joy, none of it. None of it brought satisfaction to the soul. And that's the idea. That's the whole idea of the first 11 chapters of the Song of Solomon. Some have called Solomon in chapters 1 through uh, 11 a pessimist. I've always disagreed with that take. He's a realist. He'll let you know there ain't anything worth having if God's not in it. It's not worth having. It's not worth being a part of. If God can't bless it, if, if Jesus Christ walked on the scene, you'd have to blush because of it. It ain't worth being there. Ain't worth being a part of. So he announces his title, if you will, in verses 1, 2, and 3. And in that, you already get the hint of this, this wasted time, wasted energy, wasted years. A lot of years ago in the mid-90s and, and up to the late uh, uh, 90s, uh, a lady by the name of Carolyn, she, was, uh, she and her husband, William, they called him, they called him Pud, his retired truck driver. Uh, they were in the church where I was, and uh, Miss Carolyn had had a, uh, a major uh, heart attack, massive heart attack. And uh, they sat on the back row on the right. Um, they sat back behind the coolies. were always very kind and supportive. And uh, they were faithful. They had got faithful right after I were going there, and uh, we grew to love them, and they did us. But Miss Carolyn, it was obvious. She was 56 years old. She'd had a massive heart attack, and, and it was obvious but she, uh, that she wasn't going to make it long. She was in intensive care in Tupelo, and uh, we would go in and see her with the girls and uh, with, with Pud. And, um, and then uh, it, it became obvious that she wasn't, was not going to make it. Now, she'd got her life right with the Lord, been saved some years before but had not always served him. And and she wanted the girls to step out and ask for a favor for her funeral service. And I said, if I can. And um, she said, look, she said, I'm going to go meet the Lord at the age of 56. I'm saved. I know that I'm saved. But she said, I got a lot of wasted years behind me. And she said, I was sure to have the girls. I was sure to have them in dance class. I, I was sure to meet them and carry them to the ball field. I was sure to have them whatever they needed for school. But she said, I didn't put an emphasis on attending church services or serving God most of their growing up years. And she said, I want you to tell them I'm dying with some regret. And that was hard to do, but I did it. I honored her request. The book of Ecclesiastes is a testimony that Solomon wasted a whole lot of life Spent a whole lot of energy, a whole lot of money, 
to get what he wanted in life, and it did nothing but bring regrets. Now, he'll analyze this theme, verses 4, chapter number 1, verse 4 through chapter 11. We're going to run through this, uh, and we'll do it in a hurry. I I love an overview. I love a synopsis. Even I have, when I get a book, if I get my hands on a good synopsis of whatever it is, I love it. But in chapter 1, verse number 4 through chapter number 11, this is the body of his sermon. This is a perfectly crafted sermon. He announces this title. Chapter 1, 1, 2, and 3. He's going to advance that, chapter 1, verse 4, through chapter 11. And uh, he's going to let us know about the many discoveries he's made in life under the sun. Now, this large division divides into two. And this is a very practical analysis that I'm going to give you of it. But in chapters 1 and 2, he's going to talk to us about lessons he's learned practically in shoe leather. You ever learned anything like that? Harry, when I was... Young and bullheaded, he'd say, go ahead, son. I can cite you better than I can tell you. In other words, if you won't listen, butt your head a few times. It'll help you come back and listen. And he's right. There are some things that you learn about life just living it. Nobody got to tell you. You just live it long enough. And uh, there'll be some, some verses and chords repeat themselves in the song of life. And then in chapters 3 through 11, there are lessons learned by paying attention and listening. Chapters 1 and 2, look if you will, and we won't read every verse of every chapter. We're going to look at every chapter, at least briefly. And there'll be a few verses in a couple of chapters, maybe one verse in a couple. But uh, look if you will, as as Solomon begins in chapter number 1, verses 4 through 11, he's going to tell us that history serves no purpose. That's encouraging, isn't it? He says, history serves no purpose. We're none the better for history. Watch this. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. He says, one generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, The wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full unto the place from whence the rivers came. Thither they run again. They return again, excuse me. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing Under the sun. As a matter of fact, look at verses 10 and 11. Is there anything whereof it may be said, see, this is new? It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be uh, any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. You know what he's saying? He's saying we keep repeating the same cycle. Time is linear. We're going from the beginning of it to the ending of it, right? We're going from point A to point B. But time is and history is secular. And when we look back at history, what we learn is we just never seem to learn. Man continues to make the same, same mistakes, same bad choices, over and over and over again. Many years ago, when going through all 12 chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes, I came across 
two quotes, two men who summarized their lives. The first I'll quote is Clarence Dara, the famous agnostic lawyer. This is what he said when he was asked to describe life as he had witnessed it. This is what he said, and I quote, he said, there's a statement in the Bible which summarizes my life. It says we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. That's what he felt like his life amounted to. Then there was an, an elder black gentleman that worked for the Cook uh, County Sewer Department, Chicago, Illinois. He was asked to give a description of life from how he had observed it, how he had observed it. And this is what he said. He said, I dig the ditch to get the money, to buy the food, to get the strength to dig the ditch. You know what he said? No new thing under the sun. You know what he was saying? Same old, same old. We get up, we go through our cycle, we go to bed, we get up tomorrow, we go through our cycle, and we go to bed. And it seems, that, and Solomon is emphasizing that here in Ecclesiastes chapter number 1, apart from God, life has no purpose, it has no meaning whatsoever. And that's the truth. That's the truth. He says in chapter number 1, we won't read all the verses, but verses 12 to 18, he says that no human is perfect. He said, I've learned this, just paying attention. I've learned it. No human is perfect. Look, if we will, for time's sake, verses um, 14 and 15, he said, I've seen all the works that are done under the sun. Behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. He said, that which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. No human is perfect. Now, sometimes we think we're going to reach that, that level, attain to that level, right? When we were a child, uh, when I was a, um, a toddler, I thought being a boy, man, that's going to be it. If I can ever get to the age where I can play Little League ball in the summer and then Pony League baseball in the summer, and, and then if I can ever get to the place I'm a teenager or when I was a teenager, if I could just become a man. And we found that that doesn't bring satisfaction, not total satisfaction. There's no peace to be found, lasting peace outside of God. In chapter number 2, Solomon will underline that uh, humanity's experience itself is without any permanence. Nothing seems to last. And here's where Solomon can really say, been there, done that. Got the t-shirt. Watch, let me just show you what, let me just show you the emphasis here. Look, if you will, I'm, and, and we're just going to look at several of these verses, a portion of them, and then I'll settle into a verse two, and then we're just going to keep moving. Watch what he's, chapter two, verse one, I said in my heart, Verse number two, I said. Verse three, I sought. Verse four, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. Verse five, I made me gardens, etc. I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. Verse number six, I made me pools of water. You see, he's just reaching and reaching and grabbing. He says in verse seven, I got me servants and maidens. Verse eight, I gathered me also silver and gold. He says in verse eight, I get me men singers and women singers. Verse number nine, so I was great and increased more than all that were before me. In Jerusalem also my wisdom remained with me. Look at verses 10. And 11, he says, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, 
And on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. He's going to go on to say several things also here in the second, in this second chapter. He says, I've tried it all. Thought when I'd get there that that would be the pinnacle. But it dealt to me the same hand everything else had. Um, chapters 3 through 11, Solomon seems to talk to us about lessons learned by paying attention and listening. He seems to say, I've been very observant. Watch what he says in chapter 3, verses 19 to 22. He says, I've been very observant, and I've observed the world, and I've found that the world passes away. Chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. Watch what he writes here. Um, or excuse me, 19 through 21. Uh, For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them, as the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast. In other words, a man can't escape death any more than a common uh, animal that's on a farm or in a home, domesticated. He said, for all is vanity. Verse number 20, all go unto one place. All are the dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward toward the earth? It's all vanity. The world passes away. Brother Doug Jones, he says, it's what you learn after you know it all that really counts. And then he says, by the time you get it all figured out, it's time to go meet God. That's what Solomon said. In chapter number 4, he says, I've, I've observed the successful man. In chapter number 4, in verse number 4, he says, the first result is envy. Chapter 4, verse 4, again, I considered all travail and every right work, for this is a man uh, envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. I talked to a, a wealthy man one time. We were talking. We were in my pickup truck. We were talking. And I said, I, I guess when you got to making your money some years ago, I guess when you got to making your money. And at the time, he told me, he said, preacher, he said, I could get my hands on $6 million today if I had to. And I said, I, I guess when you got to making your money, you got a whole lot of friends go with it, didn't you? He said, you wouldn't believe some of the requests I've had through the years. Now, people have tried to take advantage of me having something. You know what that is? It's envy. It's envy. He said, I noticed the successful man. I've observed him by paying attention, and I became envious of him. Look at what else he says. He said, I've observed the successful man. I've seen what one man can do. Watch verse number 9 of chapter number 4. He said, I'm going to tell you my conclusion is, he said, I've concluded even looking at the successful man that two are better than one. Two are better than one. Watch what he says in verse number 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Look at verse number 12. He says, my further conclusion is, is that three is better than two. Verse number 12. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Andrew Bonner said, well, when God's children get to heaven, every one of God's children will have the thumbprint of many upon their lives. If it wasn't for God and people that God's used in my life, I'd probably be somewhere on Skid Row tonight. If 
If it hadn't been for an old simple preacher and him preaching the gospel and a neighbor inviting me to church, I might still be on the road to hell or might be there tonight. I was sharing with the preacher on Monday by telephone just what I've shared with you so many times. He was talking about those that had made an impression on his life. And I shared with him what I've shared with you on a number of occasions out there in that church in the northwest part of the county back in 89, 90, 91, and 92. I still do a lot of what they modeled before me. Matter of fact, one of the elder men that's still living called me yesterday morning with two Bible questions. He'll do that about every four or five months. If we ever amount to anything, It'll be because of God, and it'll be because of a handful of people that God used in our lives. We won't ever amount to anything on our own. In chapter number 5, he says, I've observed the religious man. And you've got to read the whole of the chapter, really. But I'm going to read verse 1 and uh, verse 16 for time's sake. He says, I've observed the religious man. He said in chapter 5, verse 1, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. In other words, be willing to sit and listen. God gave us two ears, two eyes, only one mouth. He said, rather than speak, he said, be willing to listen and learn. For they consider not that they do evil. Down to verse number 16. And this also is a sore evil that in all points as he came, so shall he go. In other words, the religious man's going to the house of God, going through the motion, going back home, the same man. He said, that time spent was not profitable time. He said, I've observed treasures in chapter number 6. I've observed treasures. We're talking about lessons learned by just paying attention and listening. In chapter number 6, only verses 1 and 2, this is an evil which I've seen under the sun. and And it is common among men, a man to whom God has given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth, Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof. Listen, what he's saying is he's accumulated all these belongings. He's been successful. Watch what he says. He says, yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. In other words, it's like this. I remember the first time I thought about this as a young believer uh, I've always tried to call. Matter of fact, a gentleman has been visiting with us for some time. We talked on the parking lot Sunday, and I said, listen, we talked about a particular matter. And I said, listen, learn to cultivate Thanksgiving in your life. It'll change your attitude about life itself. Learn to be grateful for what God's done for you. Every day of life. I remember years ago, it dawned on me that God's the giver of life, and he's the taker of it. And as we heard in Mr. Cowsert's funeral today from Brother Junior Ritchie, I was sitting there thinking for just a second about Brother Junior Ritchie. He's been a gift to this area for years, and he's an unsung hero to this area, has been for years. I don't know how many times we've had funeral services together, and I would shake his hand and tell him how much I appreciate and respect him for his good spirit. I was thinking about him being a Cadillac, and then I thought, no, if he were an automobile, he'd be a Rolls Royce. He's been so faithful preacher of the gospel that's a gift that dear brother's been a gift to this area for years drawn no attention unto himself but i remember the first time this dawned on me when i was a young believer 
uh, I remember uh, being out in the yard, and, uh, and I was thinking, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you. It was seven and a half acres at the time we had. And we were making the payment at First National, and I, I thank the Lord for it. And, and in the old house, I thank the Lord. But you know, here's the thing about it. I could do the same thing at 100 Highway 41, Pontotoc, Mississippi, 38863. And there could be a fella six months from now walking across the yard saying, Thank you, Lord. Or getting in the pickup truck and driving it. His name's on the title now saying, Thank you, Lord, for your blessings upon me. Here's the thing about I won't even be a good memory six months after my death in most people's lives. Have you thought about that outside family? Most of us. If we don't know God, it doesn't matter. Most in history will never know our names. And I'm glad God knows my name. I'm glad I know him. He says, I've observed treasures. And sometimes a man can accumulate through hard work many treasures. And then somebody, he doesn't get to live long enough to enjoy them. That's what he says. In chapter number 7, let me just run through some of this and we'll move over to chapter number 12. In chapter 7 through 11, he talks about the world's system. He's, he's observed the world's system. You know, John writes of the world. And he's not talking about the globe, the big ball of mud that we live on. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the world's system. He's talking about the world's system. The world's system and God's system of doing things are polar opposites. We operate off of what God has had to say to us. And even the scientific world, they operate off the latest theory. And that's changing rapidly now. In chapter number 7, there are bitter things and there are better things, he observes. He says that's all of it. It's, it's vanity. It's no good apart from God. Chapter number 8, let me give you one verse out of chapter number 8. Look at the 8th verse. And what he's going to talk about here is that the power, to have power over your life or power over death when you're staring at death, he said it's vanity. It's no use. Don't try it. Resist all you want to. Fight it all you want to. Watch what he says. Chapter 8 and verse number 8. He says, uh, let me find the verse here. There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death, and there's no discharge in that war. In other words, you're not getting out of it, neither am I, neither shall wickedness, he said, deliver uh, those that are given to it. It doesn't matter if you know God and live for him or you don't know God and you live a wicked life. There's an appointed time. We heard this today. I was so... I, Look, here's your bookends of life and death. Here's the bookends of your life. Go back to chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. To everything there's a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. He says a time to be born and a time to die. And the idea of that word time is an appointed time. And so Solomon wrote in chapter number 8 and verse number 8 of his sermon, obtaining power in the face of death, it's futile, it's vain, it's vanity. Chapter number 9, he speaks of brief mortality in chapter number 9, verse number 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whether thou goest. In other words, he said, if you get the stage, you better dance while you can. 
If you get the mic, you better sing while you can. If you have an opportunity, you better get busy while you can. Better get done you're doing today because it may be over for you tomorrow. That's what he's saying. He's a realist. He is a realist. In chapter number 9, he talks about bitter moments in life and even bad memories. In that 11th verse, we read verse 10 of chapter 9. I returned and saw under the sun, verse 11, that the race is not to the swift, nor to the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. And then he said the strong. God's not interested in the strongest among you, nor the fastest among you. You remember the old story we learned in elementary school in story time about the tortoise and the hare? The hare had the superior equipment, but the tortoise won the race. You remember the, the hare took a vacation, crossed his legs, laid up in the shade, thought he was something. He was a machine to be dealt with, a power to be reckoned with. And the old tortoise just stayed with it, stayed with it, and stayed with it. And that's what, he, that's what God's asking for us is just a steady endurance through it all. Stay with it, child of God. Chapter 11, wisdom and folly itself of this world uh, is vanity. And, of course, he's going to tell us not, old, not all old men are wise and not all young men are fools. And he's right, of course, that scripture. When you come to chapter number 12, the preacher's aim is obvious. He stated the problem in his announcing his text and his title that he's preaching on, chapter 1, first three verses. He studies the problem, chapter 1, verse 4 through chapter 11. But when you come to chapter 12, our problem is solved. I even referred to chapter 12 in verse number 1 Sunday morning, uh, just somewhat from memory. But... Um, in, in verses 1 through 8, we won't look at all of this. I don't think we will. May get to read and decide to. But um, he's going to give us a picture before he's done in verses 1 through 8 of old age, death, and a funeral. He's going to get us in chapter 12 above the sun. He's going to set our focus on God. Instead of looking around, we're going to look up now. He tells the young people, he says in chapter 12, verse 1, Remember now uh, thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw uh, nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Why childhood? Why did he direct his attention there? Here's why. A child is innocent. A child is impressionable. A child is inquisitive. How many of us have talked about little boys? Um, You tell them something, answer their question, they'll ask the question, why? And you answer the question, they'll say, but why? And then you try to explain why, and then the little fellow, he'll turn around, he'll say, but why? Little boys are inquisitive, little girls are too. That's the time to make an impression on their hearts. It does my heart good. Now, look, our kids ought to learn that the sanctuary is a place where we come and open the Scripture and we pray and we sing praises and the altar is not something we play on or the pulpit, an area we dance and have a big time on. They, they ought to be taught that, right? Are you, are you listening to me? They ought, they ought to be taught that. 
Now, I'll tell you something. Teach them young. Bring them. Don't send them. Bring them. It does my heart good. These little babies get wound up. and That doesn't offend me. I'm glad we can hear a crying co every now and then. Or a little Nelson every now and then. Or Timber. I'm glad sometimes we have to tell our little boys, look, get you, get you a drink of water before we sit down in the church house. Teach them. The Communist Party stated in the 70s, if you'd give them a child to age five, that they'd be parts of that child's life no matter how long he lived. Part of his worldview would be that of a communist. If you could let him have, if you could let them have your child till age five. They'd put some things in their lives they'd never get over. It does make a difference. I'm um, trying to rearrange in my study, and I'm trying to uh, go through some things. And, and I've got a whole box. I've got a whole box of notes and little cutout hearts. And since I've been here, I've got a box of that stuff. I threw away a bunch of old cassette tapes. Some of you never heard of such, have you? They come from the dark ages. I got rid of them today. Been needing to get rid of them probably for years. I just keep thinking, well, I'll find a cassette player somewhere and listen to them again one day. But I don't have time to listen to them. And most of them are probably locked up anyhow. They're so old. Um, While I was working in my study today, I almost wish I had time to sit down and read every note and look at every drawing all over again. I don't. On the end of one of my bookshelves, I've got a drawing of myself with a beard. A little boy drew of me. And uh, I'm going to keep the thing. Every child in this sanctuary tonight or that will be here Sunday, other than the fellows, the little fellows, it's too little to have been big enough to have done so. Every child, even some of these big old boys now, two of them graduating high school this year, has either slipped me a note or drew me something. That means the world to me. Keep bringing them. Those fellas are going to have little fellas of their own one these days. Am I making any sense to you? I wish God would drive this home. Our days are but few. Amanda was having a dizzy spell before I left, and I said, just sit down and get under a quilt. Just sit down. One service ain't going to kill you nor me nor split the church. Sit down. And I told her, I said, I need you. The rest of them don't need you. I need you. Sit down. But you know, the last three years of our lives, I have told her over and again, life's changing for us, girl. I know I look like a spring chicken, but I'm not born. Lavorkin and 5-FU, if you ever have to take chemo, those chemos are ancient and they're hard on the body. Left me arthritic. I don't say anything about it. I can tell you when the storm's coming up out of the Davis Lake area too. Donald, most of us can. That's just life for us. Get done your doing while you can. It don't matter. This world don't matter. But whether or not you know Christ matters and what you've done for him is going to matter at the end of this journey. We're going to turn around twice. My generation is going to do what the generations before me has done. We're going to say goodbye to all of you. And you can have it then. Do something with it.
Start them young. Start them young. Look at this uh, old age. I've got to quit. I know I've got to quit. I'm fixing to. Um, he's telling them to, uh, to get started young. He's talking to the youth in verse number one. Then he's going to talk about these getting old. Don't lie me, no disrespect, but consider your mom and your dad when I read this verse. Watch this. He says, in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble. You know what he's talking about? It's what he's talking about. How many of us already tremor, have tremors? It's what he's talking about. It's poetic language he's using. Begin to be shaky in the hands and arms. Watch what he goes on to say. And he says, and the strong men shall bow themselves. He's talking about the legs carrying the man. And the grinders, the teeth, because they are few. And those that look out of the windows, talking about the eyes be darkened, can't see like we once could. Verse number four, and the door shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low, and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird. And all the daughters of music shall he be brought low. He's talking about a funeral here. It's drawing close for us. Let me give you the last two verses. I'm just going to quit right here. We might visit this again one of these days. He deals with a lot of things, a lot of things we didn't deal with. He dealt with, for example, in chapter 10, trying to change a man is vanity. You can preach to him till you're blue in the face. He don't want to get right with God. Guess what? He ain't going to get right with God. He may make you every promise on the sun, but uh, it's all vanity, he says. Look, if you will, verses 13 and 14. Uh, he deals with what you're going to stand before God with, verses 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. In other words, this produces the ideal man before God. Verse number 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. He says you can spend yourself in the world if you want to, but you're going to come away um, lacking every time. So I'd ask you what our, um, what our brother asked us in open assembly Sunday morning. What seek ye tonight? Where are your hopes and dreams? Are you wanting to serve God? Do you plan to spend your days out serving him? Following him, living for him. Uh, that's what Solomon's urging us to tonight. Let's stand with we'll this in prayer. Thank you for being here and thank you for your patience. It's good to be in the Lord's house. Continue to pray for those that are weak or sick or bereaved or shut in. Please pray for them. Many needs there. Brother Donald, will you dismiss us, please?